From the studios of Boise State Public Radio News, I'm Gemma Gaudet, and you're listening to Idaho Matters. You know, there are many struggles facing parents and children in today's world, but then you throw in any type of difference, and those struggles, well, they can just multiply. Meg Zerker, who was born with a genetic condition herself, knows those struggles. And she wanted to give parents and caregivers some tools on how to support their children. We're lucky enough to have Meg join us today to talk about her new book, Born Extraordinary. Meg, welcome to the program. Thank you, Gemma. I'm just thrilled to be here. Thank you. So Meg, first off, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself? As I mentioned, you were born with a genetic condition yourself. Yeah, so I was born with a condition called ectrodactyly. Um, which sounds like a dinosaur type, but um, it's not. It, it really, um, although the older I get, I'm like, oh, I guess I relate to the medical term. <laughs> but it just means I was born with one finger on each hand, um, shortened forearms, and two t- and one toe on each foot. Um, but it's interesting about extradactyly. First of all, the term um, wasn't even something my parents had been given back when I was born. And I didn't mm. even know that there was that extradactyly label until I was applying to law school. So it it took a while for me to even hear it. And one of the other things that was sort of an assumption for me was the term doesn't mean, oh, that means that person has one finger on each hand. In fact, I passed along my condition to both of our sons, uh, not our daughter, but both of our sons. And Ethan, our oldest, has one finger on each hand and Charlie has two fingers on each hand and they both have, um, you know, two toes on each foot. So it kind of goes goes all over the place in terms of number of digits. Hmm. So when you were growing up then, Meg, talk to us about, you know, the things that, that you ran into. I mean, because as you mentioned, you know, there wasn't even a terminology or you didn't even know about it until you're applying to law school. So I can only imagine the questions or the looks, you know, all of that that you you got growing up. Yeah. I mean, my, my, I was born in central Illinois, but my family, based on my dad's job, we moved to the Middle East and South Asia. And so, um, you know, our first destination was Tehran, Iran, for example. Uh, And quite frankly, in different countries out there in particular, you know, you had, or I had, um, and my family had people that would approach us and quite frankly, run for the hills. Um, They were either uh, fearful that my condition was contagious or, um, potentially even worse, that it would bring a curse to their family. And so, you know, I guess I had an extreme sense of a sense of mm-hmm. tons of experiences. And not like I grew up in one, you know, hometown and, and that's where I stayed. I didn't come back to the States officially until around high school. And so um yeah, it was it was hard to be sort of the subject of pity, staring, whispers, and quite frankly, sometimes more blatant blatant reactions. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm I'm curious, what was that like for your parents? I mean, you know, as a kid, we, we, I don't think we really take into account our parents' feelings that often, but I think as an adult, we can sometimes look back and, and see the struggles that they had. Yeah. You know, it's a great question, Gemma, because for my parents, I mean, one of the reasons actually I wrote the book Born Extraordinary um, was because my parents had this intuitive strength um, that they wanted to raise me to believe that, you know, sky's the limit. And in Mm -hmm. fact, um, weren't raising me in a way that was rooted in fear. 
and so based on that, they really were able to uh, empower me in the best way of my ability. Like I always say, I'm just living in my own version of normal, capable of doing anything and everything within my means, as my husband and I are raising our children as well, who um, all three of them, but certainly Charlie and Ethan, who share my condition. But for my parents, I think that they had an innate um ability, which is really hard to do. I mean, it's hard already as a parent, you're kind of afraid, like, oh my gosh, what, mm-hmm. you know, if a kid leaves on his own, even think about that first moment your child goes to kindergarten, you have to let them go. Yeah. But, you know, that's all on steroids when you're a parent of a child with um, differences or disabilities. And so, you know, a lot of the reason I wrote this book, and even with the first chapter, which is called Embra- um, Embracing the New Normal, is having parents really do sort of a mental health check. Like, where are you at with respect to your own personal strength and ability not to be consumed by judgment? Mm. And, you know, and I know you mentioned both of your sons have, have gotten your genetic condition. And you write that even though your daughter did not get this condition, you said she has her own, I believe you use the term kind of invisible um, differences. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because because sometimes I think that there are many children who struggle with disorders, disabilities that are not physical. And, and, I, and I'm curious if you have run into more obstacles because when you can see a difference, it's almost like you can give grace, right? But if you don't see the difference, I think we start labeling kids as like lazy or obstinate, defiant, you know, all of these things. Yeah, I, I what you're saying really resonates. I mean, so our daughter, I mean, you know, she has multiple invisible differences. One of them, uh, one of them is is that she's allergic to nuts, certainly, which is, you know, people take one look at our family and are thinking we're all riding on the struggle bus. And the biggest <laughs> hardship and struggle for us is actually, um, you know, fearing that she might end up in that, a hospital um, due to yeah. nut exposure. But back to your point, but she also has ADHD, right? And so, you oh, know, it's interesting. I have, my youngest has it too. Ah, there you go. And so it it, yep. it translates into a, executive functioning and all that kind of stuff. That's her invisible difference. And, you know, it's, it's, it, that is a really important navigational experience for parents where, first of all, it's invisible to we as parents. So mm-hmm. I even talk about the fact that in the book, how embarrassed I am. I was so focused on, it was so obvious to your point, Gemma, that my sons, our sons had this physical difference. You know, our attention and focus was of course on that. And then for Savannah, our daughter, it was sort of, you know, she said to me, she's like, mom, you know, I really did want to be on that bouncing ball that I guess kids can sit on. And and I thought, well, she became a gymnast. That's why she wanted to bounce. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> so it's so interesting that your you you know your child has the same thing. So it's almost like you for your first thing you have to do is realize and come to the understanding and even acceptance of your child's invisible difference. And then once you do that, to your point, it's how do you best navigate it as our advocate for people that can't see it. And mm-hmm. and that is actually that, you know, the book addresses a lot of those, those types of interactions with people yeah. and how, how to advocate. Let's talk a little bit more about that advocacy work that you have to do as, as a parent or a caregiver. Um, because, you know, anecdotally, my own personal experiences, I have had to advocate so much more than I ever expected for my youngest child. I mean, he advocates for himself too. He's 11 years old. He does a great job of it. Um, But because it's invisible, 
it, it's a, you know, you talk about the struggle bus. That's, I feel like it's a struggle all of the time. I mean, I, he, it, even with his older brother, you know, it, it's having to tell him like, no, he's not a brat. He's not, he's just, he has ADHD. Like you're, I mean, it's, it's a constant advocacy and that is, it is emotionally overwhelming. So talk about what you write about in the book about how we can advocate. But I think at the same time, you self-care and emotional well-being, you have to remember that as a parent too. For yourself. Absolutely. And the first, you know, embracing the new normal, that chapter really focused on that sort of, you know, figuring that out. And as a parent, it's so important that to me that if I was going to, and I did write this book, that I couldn't have parents um, raise their children or eventually advocate for them if they hadn't done the work themselves first in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, parenting and making certain that that parenting isn't rooted in fear in the same way that my parents were able to do and then empower me as a result. The advocacy thing is really interesting and complicated. And I'm so glad we're talking about visible versus invisible differences because on the visible blatant, you know, sort of like with my sons, advocacy for me, sometimes, you know, kind of backfired, you know, I would go mm. out of my remember when Ethan was, uh, and I cover this in in one of the chapters of the book, Ethan was young in, in elementary school or just about to start. And I felt like I needed to write a letter to the principal and say, he's, you know, just treat him like everyone else. And he, he can just navigate on his own and he's good. And because I went out of my way to do that, you know, the, the principal took the cue, like, oh, he must need extra help. She just doesn't, want to say that. And so let's have a meeting. And, and it was a really interesting experience. On the other hand, um, from an invisible advocacy, you know, invisible difference in advocacy, that's really harder, especially as they grow older. Um, Because there's a lot about, um, I write about dignity. Um, And in Uh fact, it's interesting, Gemma, like in the ADHD space, uh, you know, there was a, we have a tutor for Savannah for one of her classes and and it's a lot about executive functioning because she's super smart but it's just keeping the mm-hmm. that organizational skill and she had a big test and it didn't go well her tutor had canceled the night before to help her organize and I sent an email the next day to the teacher and said, look, I'm sorry, this is what happened. But she's in high school now. And she was so angry with me because she's like, Mom, you can't do this. I need to be my (laughs) own advocate. You just embarrassed the heck out of me. So, you know, it's that I I say this to you, Gemma, to say there is advocacy and there's sort of notions and we it's really complex. We have to think about it in the space of visible versus invisible differences. And we also have to remind ourselves that whatever what made sense when they were younger is not the same level that we need to sort of step in to that space. And if anything, I I talk about the importance of leaning out. So we have to know when to lean in and when to lead out. Um, And and then that helps and translates into our children's, you know, being independent. At the end of the day, we always want to be there for our kids. But the reality is, we can't always be there for our kids. And so we need to really um, champion them in their own independence, whether their differences are visible or an invisible. You know, it's interesting too, because I, I think what you just said about your daughter, right? Or getting mad at you for sending that note. It's, it goes <laughs> yeah. back It goes back to that first thing that you talked about, which is empowering your children, right? It, what, what it sounds like to me, what you did is you empowered her enough to be able to be her own advocate. And, and I think there's a lesson in that for parents and caregivers, whether your child has differences, invisible or visible, right? It doesn't even matter. It's almost like, how do we empower our children so that they can be their own advocate? 
Yeah. And, and, you know, it's really important that you're raising this because, you know, in the programming that I've done through my nonprofit, um, Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, you know, we do social emotional learning and empathy programming. And what we try to do is, you know, certainly kids with, you know, blatant visible differences or even mm-hmm. invisible differences, those kids that look or feel different, we, you know, we want them to turn into a someone from a something to their peers. But just as important is all the other kids that, you know, they may not recognize their own invisible difference, but everybody has some, we're not robots, you know, we, everybody has something in their lives, their version of sort of one finger on each hand that they wouldn't want someone to mock or to, you know, make fun of or judge or, or so forth. And so, you know, to your point, and, and this book really goes there. And one of the most grateful things I received this month was um, from the library journal, a, a starred review saying it's an essential read for all parents and quite frankly, caregivers and teachers, because at the end of the day, that's what what this book is designed to do is both empower, um, you know, help parents empower kids with differences and disabilities, but then shed a light on everybody else that really wants to raise self-confident and empathetic children. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and with that said, you know, you you write in the book about needing to to, to address certain terminologies, things like difference versus disability. Um, why is that important to make those distinctions with your children? Yeah, in the book, thanks for asking, because in the book, I decided to call it out up front, even before chapter one. Um, mm-hmm. I had been very mindful of the fact that the word disability, um, some people sort of fly the, you know, disability pride flag and others, um, you know, don't associate it with it. And I was sort of in the latter camp. I'm like, what is it? What is it about this word? And, um, you know, for me, it, I realized I was getting ready for work and um, a traffic reporter said, your your morning's ruined. There's a disabled vehicle on the road and now you're going to be late oh. to work or, you know, miss that conference call or whatever. And, I realized that 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 is a, a problem, and quite frankly, the people that are flying that that disability pride flag, you know, they're they're doing a great thing because they're trying to change the vernacular into having the term being a positive. One of the most mm-hmm. important points that I like to make, um, you know, in the book as I, I address this, but I'll just give it to you this way: um, you can have three families that all have a child with the same difference um or disability or um differently abled they they all might label their child or their child might label themselves differently even though they all have the same condition and what that tells me and informs me is is that you know we need to give families um grace and respect to decide what feels comfortable for them and then let's move on from that and really focus on what i love to focus on which is in the end of the day, to me, once you move past the labels, it's really about finding people, not necessarily that have the identical life condition experience that you'd have, but who are the people that, um, you know, have a, whatever they have that they understand and feel, they can understand how to feel the way you do based on the way people might be treating them. And that's what matters. We 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 aim to unite, not despite, but because of our differences in that regard. Mm. What are you hoping people take away from from reading this book? Uh, you know, the, it, I think the, the there's a lot of nuggets there. And by the way, you know, I have 30 
other parents of kids with differences and dis- disabilities, visible and invisible. So certainly mm-hmm. um, there's going to be a lot of takeaways and a lot of insights, a lot of nuggets of of wisdom and also mistakes made. Um, but I think what I, I think the most important takeaway is um, really asking yourself, are you parenting um, in a way that's rooted in fear or, mm-hmm. or strength? You know, to me, the opposite of, of love is not hate, it's fear. Every misstep I've made, um, both personally as a person, you know, with a physical genetic condition, as well as parenting my children with with that, has been based on that. So from a takeaway perspective, it's really, I hope that everybody does that sort of um, mental health check and and digs deep before they try to rush in to try and support and empower their children, make certain before you lead them that you're leading them by example, not just because you think that's what they need. I want to thank you so much for the conversation today. This is such good information for all of us. So thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Really. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Idaho Matters. Boise State Public Radio and Idaho Matters are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gemma Gaudet. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies.